Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss it's another edition of the yahoo sports hockey podcast this one a little less lonely because as promised i have julian mckenzie on with me to discuss the 5-1 victory in game two for the toronto maple leafs over the montreal canadians julian you're smiling with that point um, you know, you're an objective guy, but, uh, your, your smiles won't be shared in Montreal this, this evening, I assume. No, not a lot of unhappy people. I'm sure, uh, for the Montreal Canadians, I'm just happy just doing the Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast that literally brings a smile to my face, but yeah, a lot of people in Montreal tonight, uh, well, I guess whenever they get to hear this, or at least Saturday night, I should say, uh, it kind of feels like a, like a fall f- down to earth. You go off the high of game one, getting this, getting the opening victory of the series. And then game two off a bad second period, which I'll get into a little later on. Uh, everything kind of is back to square one. It's what it feels like, but uh, yeah, not as good of a feeling after game two as Canadians fans might've been feeling after game one. Well, highs and lows for the fans, obviously Maple Leaf fans feeling the lowest of lows after game one. And now, The Montreal Canadiens fans dealing with some lows tonight after the Toronto Maple Leafs even the series at one apiece. But for you and I, I feel like we're just dealing with the general jadedness and, and, you know, fatigue that comes with the opening round of the playoffs and trying to cover it. Uh, We're at the end of a long day. It's the end of a long week. Um, But thankfully, I get to lean on you because I've been doing a few of these by myself. And I'm glad I can just shut up a little bit and listen. So... Where should we start? I, I think we should probably deliver some main takeaways from the game. Again, uh, a much different game than it was uh, on, I guess it was, Thursday night. Is there something that stuck out to you the most uh, watching this game tonight? The very first thing I want to point out, uh, in both first periods uh, of Game 1 and Game 2, I felt, and maybe you could say it was the beginning of the game and it's hard for teams to necessarily take control of a game, but... I think for a lot of people who looked at this Canadians Leafs series and thought this was just going to be a series where the Toronto Maple Leafs were just going to straight up outclass the Montreal Canadiens, I think you'd be a little, not disappointed, but definitely surprised at how the Canadians mm-hmm. have been able to keep up with them, at least at the start of games. And plus, if you look at both games, the Canadians get the first goal in both of those games. So I think if you're a Canadiens fan in particular, you look at how the Canadians played at least to start off these games, you could be a little bit encouraged. The biggest difference uh, between game one and game two is, is that there was a big letdown for the Canadians in that second period in game two. Uh, I'm talking about the penalties that they took. They took four penalties in that second period 
And they ultimately doomed them because the Canadians were pretty much chasing the game for the most part uh, between the, the Austin Matthews goal that they allowed, which I, I'm still putting that on, on, on John Merrow being, caught, being pretty much up in the play and not able to track back defensively. And Paul Byron, who was the closest player to Austin Matthews, who, fine, he may be a smaller player, but Austin Matthews still kind of blew past the coverage like saloon doors, uh, just cleaning up on the rebound, getting the goal. It was a nice goal, but you cannot allow for the Montreal Canadiens for, for Austin Matthews to get any type of separation or any type of space for him to do his thing. And and on the carry price goal that he allowed from Rasmus Sandin, there's just a whole bunch of chaos in front of the net and then the traffic in front just as a result, Carey Price not able to – I didn't think he really saw that puck or just at least the traffic in front just did not help. And that challenge – and I know we'll get into the challenge maybe a bit more later, but so mm-hmm. weird. It was just a combination of uh, not great defense – the, the coach's challenge just being weird. The Canadians had six shots on net in that second period as well. And then when it came time for the third period, an opportunity for them to try to get back in this game, the Leafs were too far ahead as far as I'm concerned for them to really make an impact in anything. And Philip Deneau post game even acknowledged it as well. Like they tried to get back in this game, but it was just too little too late for them. So I think if you take out that second period, maybe it's a different game for the Montreal Canadiens. But the biggest difference so far between the first two games is the Canadians had a bad second period that essentially took them out of that second game. And that's a big reason why the Leafs have equalized this series. Yeah, I mean, in the second period alone, it was a total avalanche from the Maple Leafs in terms of shots and chances. A lot of that was to do with the fact that uh, Montreal took a bunch of penalties in that second period. But when you add it all up, I mean, that was the main point that changed the momentum in the entire series. I like that you brought up the first period because it did feel a lot like game one. There was some differences. I don't think the physicality was quite there, but Montreal was sort of, it it kept Toronto in its, uh, you know, that frustrating state where they're unable to really get anything going. And of course, you mentioned that Montreal opened the scoring again, and it didn't feel like Toronto had got its legs in the series, even though we were expecting some sort of major, at least, counterpunch from them early and we just didn't see that so I think a lot of Leaf fans were nervous in that moment and maybe Jason Spezza picked up on that as well because we saw I mean we go back to last year's playoffs and that game four where the Maple Leafs had that amazing comeback and didn't deserve to you know be in the game but they had that comeback they forced a game five and of course they disappointed there but Jason Spezza was given so much credit for his will and his heart and everything he put into that performance when he saw that the Maple Leafs were knocking on death's door And I wonder if he felt that way a little bit again, where he uh, didn't like the way the Maple Leafs were playing, didn't like the way the young guys were, you know, able to assert themselves in the game at all. And he put a little bit on himself with what I thought was a major, major first period and a a sort of the start of the turning point. Obviously, he scored the goal, so it's an easy narrative to pick up. But I think it was more than that. I think he brought the physicality there uh, and ended up scoring the goal. And that's what really flipped the game. And of course, Austin Matthews got going early to start the second period. And from there on, they just got all the penalty, all the power play opportunities they wanted. And eventually the goals followed. And we'll talk a little bit more about the power play in a bit. So we saw the Leafs change in this game, but I think we saw a change from the Montreal Canadiens just in total with the lack of physicality. Do you pick up on the same thing where they just didn't seem to be as difficult to play against in this game? Or was that just a product of the fact that they, it was maybe misplaced aggression where they were taking penalties instead of doing the, the positive stuff uh, from yeah. a physical standpoint? Yeah, it, it was kind of weird to judge the physicalness. Physicalness is not a word. I'll mention that. Oh, you got to mention that. It's not a word, but who cares? If you look at the stats of the game, the Canadians out hit the Leafs again, but mm-hmm. 
it was just so weird with the way the refereeing was going on in this game. You, you were seeing plays where the Leafs were making these hits on the Canadians and the Canadians vice versa as well. And you're just like, wow, there's a lot of stuff being let go here. And then you'll see a penalty get called and you're like, oh, okay. So what just happened earlier doesn't count, but this is a penalty. And fine, that may work for some of the penalties that the Canadians took, but the Brendan Gallagher cross check to TJ Brody's head, like, what are you thinking, dude? Like, I think that's one of the more head-scratching penalties they took in that period. And you're right. Maybe misplaced aggression is the, is the theme to kind of bring up here because I think the Canadians – and they did this a bit at the beginning of the year when they had that hot streak and they were playing that same way and they were aggressive. It could get to a point where that aggression could kind of lead to penalty trouble. And in the case of the Toronto Maple Leafs, to, to bring it to the power play here, it gave them life. They entered this series – with a woeful power play, and it was going to be uh, a sticking point for them in this series, and they get themselves two power play goals. You probably know the last time the Canadian, sorry, the Leafs got two power play goals in the game. But if you're the Leafs after that, like you have to. Fe- hey, I, I was hoping you did. I, I had no clue. Well, that was to a say, much, like, I was a much younger man the last time they had two power play goals. <laughs> yeah, geez, me too, then. But at this point, like if you're the Leafs. And you look at all the opportunities you were able to get on the power play as a result of the Canadians being in discipline. I mean, from what I saw from Toronto, they were moving the puck around and not only just taking whatever they could get along the blue line, they were doing their absolute best to work that puck in the slot and get chances on Carey Price. And from what I remember from the heat maps on on, on natural stat trick, you're getting shots from the hash marks, you're getting shots from in front of the net, and maybe just a little bit outside the outside the slot but you're not seeing that long strip of, of shots from along the blue line. And, and that comes as a result of the Montreal Canadiens just, you know, just not being disciplined enough. And I'll say this at the end of the game, with how the game was going, you see the Canadians just trying to give themselves a spark with some of the aggression they had going on, but it felt like the Leafs had the last laugh. Like seeing Wayne Simmons go at Joel Edmondson and, still, yeah. and yapping at him at different points, like, you know, we see this all the time in every sport where the team is losing, they're out of it. Maybe they're taking a shot or two, but the other team is just like, Hey, okay. You want to take shots at us? Like who cares? We're the team winning. Look up at the scoreboard. The, 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 the Leafs kind of had the higher ground in the final stages of all of this. And a guy like Wayne Simmons, you know, kind of relish being in those moments. I thought, so even if the Canadians out hit them, I thought the Leafs at the end of the day, they're the ones who look like the bigger bullies as opposed to the Canadians. Yeah, I think the score effects might be sort of specific to the Montreal Canadiens here in the fact that chasing of the game doesn't look good on them. They can't be as physical as a team because they are, you know, maybe they're trying to get more possession of the puck. And and if you're you're the Maple Leafs, you're holding on to the puck a bit more. I guess it gives you the opportunity to throw some body checks, but maybe it doesn't give you the opportunistic chances to take shots at the other team. But also... They're a team that likes to counterattack. I mean, this was the transition offense is what the Maple Leafs used, or the Canadians used, rather, to beat the Maple Leafs in Game 1. And we just didn't see that all that much, partly because I think maybe Montreal knew it had to take some more chances before that. They couldn't wait for those moments. But the fact that maybe Munch- or the Toronto Maple Leafs were just holding possession of the puck a little bit better, and they were just owning possession of the puck in the offensive zone and not forcing it themselves, the transition opportunities sometimes come when you're forcing it yourself. So I think the Canadians were less dangerous in two ways. They were less dangerous from a physical standpoint, partly because 
well, you know what? I, I don't know if it's it's perfectly correlated, but maybe they just didn't have those chances to throw those body checks as much because they were chasing the game. But certainly they were less dangerous from an offensive standpoint because they were without those transition opportunities, seeing less of the puck and less of the Maple Leafs taking chances because they were more comfortable in the game, whether they were on the power play or whether they were just upholding a lead. Yep, 7-2. Uh, that's the high danger chance rate. I think Toronto had 7 to Montreal's 2. The most disappointing thing is in that first period for the Canadians, in terms of trying to get those high danger chances, that's when we saw a lot of them, a lot more of those opportunities where they were at least trying to not just take shots from anywhere, but they were trying to at least force the puck to the net. I could think of at least two or three instances where like one where Thomas Tatar is in the corner of the ice and he's trying to find someone in the slot to get it, get it to Gallagher had a chance in the slot as well. And he, I think he missed wide and he looks up to the ceiling, just like, man, like he's trying to get a shot. That's a guy who I also think he really needs to have an impact in this series through two games. I don't feel he's had the impact that the Canadians probably expected him to have a guy who's been on, you know, away from the team with the injury that he's had. And he's trying to, at least, you know, he's seen as the heartbeat of this Montreal Canadiens team, but I believe he's pointless through two games. I still think that's a concern. If it gets to game three and he doesn't get a point, that's also going to be that's good. That's going to be weird. That's not going to be good for the Montreal Canadiens. But the mm-hmm. goal that the Canadiens got in that first period came off a gold mouth scramble, and Yasperi Kakanyemi, who uh, was not in the lineup in game one, and a lot of people critiqued him for his play in the final stretches of the regular season, puts himself in the right place at the right time. And sometimes it pays to be lucky that as opposed to being good. And Kakanyemi put himself in the right place. So at the start, there were positives to build on, on on the offensive chances that the Canadians were getting. And even if they, I think the Leafs had more chances in the slot than the Canadians did in that first period, the Canadians at least, there was there were positives for them to build on. It's just that second period, the way it unfolded, it just, it just did not go well. And when you end up chasing the game against a team like Toronto, it's not very often we're going to be able to come back on them and, and, and beat them. It's not impossible, but... The Canadians need a better effort in that third to be able to do that. But the Leafs were just playing a lot better in the last 40 minutes. I want to expand on Kotkaniemi and I want to talk about all the lineup changes because that was obviously, you know, we're talking about series to series or game to game in this series. Got to talk about the adjustments from Ducharme and Keefe. Um, But the last change I thought from game one to game two, the major change at least, uh, was probably the performance of Carey Price. I don't think he was necessarily bad in game two. I don't know if he... Could really, I mean, he probably could have had a couple of those, but the, the the Maple Leafs produced some high danger looks and some and some great chances and deserved to win based on the chances that they produced. Um, mm-hmm. But Carey Price was dominant in Game One. He looked like Sochi Price. He looked like Hart Trophy Price. He looked like whatever Carey Price of old was dominant in its previous form once again. And tonight, a little bit less so. Is there a reason for that? Is there cause for concern? What do you make of Carey Price's performance? I thought Carey Price did as best as he could in game two. I think if you look at all the goals he allowed, I still think that Rasmus Sandin goal was more as a result of every all the bodies around him versus him letting in a bad goal. I don't think he's had a bad game in this series yet. He's, he's done his absolute best to keep his team in both game one and in game two. Uh, obviously the fact that he allowed all the goals that he's allowed is in game two versus game one, not going to reflect as well on him. But I think with the list of concerns that the Canadians have right now, which is to stay disciplined, find a way to get goals. They only have three goals through two games. 
mm-hmm. I don't think Carey Price ranks high on the list of concerns as of yet. If he has a bad game in game three, he probably shoots up the list. But I have a hard time pinning any too much bad things, at least on Carey Price anyway. I thought of all the players who were playing for the Canadians uh, in game two, he was a guy who stood out in a positive way for me, despite the goals he allowed. I'll give Kakanemi a bit of love as well because he was able to get that goal in his first game uh, back in a while. Uh, but after that, like not too many other positives or, or pluses as I, as I write in my athletic column now uh, to give out to the Canadians at least. But Carey Price is not a guy I would necessarily give a minus to yet. No, I, I don't think he necessarily had a bad game. I don't think you can put anything at the feet of Carey Price. But I will say if there was one thing the, the Montreal Canadiens could have in terms of a you know, a psychological advantage perhaps in the series is that Carey Price builds this mystique. And if he built, he sort of started building the mystique in game one perhaps, and he could get in their heads a little bit, but maybe that that progress, if you want to call it progress, potentially undone with a, you know, a rather pedestrian, unremarkable, whatever you want to call it, just a regular average performance from Carey Price in game two. Okay, so I mentioned the lineup changes. Let's actually start with Montreal. Um, Jesperi Kotkaniemi did not play in game one. He did play in game two. Jake Evans coming out. What was the reason for that? And obviously, it paid off early with the goal. And then he flashes the four signal. So can you can you explain what the four means and why we even saw Kotkaniemi on the ice tonight? So the first thing with Kotkaniemi, uh, in game one, Jake Evans uh, got to play, but he didn't finish the game uh, due to injury. And admittedly, I'm still a bit lost on what exactly happened to Jake Evans. Uh, It wasn't necessarily clear to me when I watched it. Um, I think one of my colleagues kind of discussed it with me the other day with what happened, but it was still kind of vague. It wasn't necessarily the most noticeable thing that happened. And after that happened, uh, Coach Dominic Ducharme, uh, it seemed as if uh, he could not tell us when Jake Evans would be available to play again. He's day to day, it seems, and with him being out of the lineup, that kind of opened the door for Yasperi Kakanyemi to play. And I thought of all the Canadians forwards, like I, I think he stood out again in, in a bit of a positive way. As for the four sign, that also confused me as well because, like, why would you throw up this four sign? But it seems as if, as he was trying to explain post game, uh, it was just something that he had done with some other players he had been practicing with over the last few days. Uh, so I think it's just like one of those kind of like inside jokes that he just kind of had with some of the guys he was practicing with that he who also weren't in the lineup because I think he was flashing it, you know, skywards. So he was probably flashing it in their direction. But knowing Leafs fans, they will probably take it as like a meme and be like, hey, how many goals did the Canadians lose by uh, last <laughs> night? And they'll post the photo yeah. for it. I yeah, know sure. Tic-Tac-Tomar thought of that joke. I know he did. Anyway, uh, yeah, I was – the fourth thing I was like all right cool it's like a little cool thing you do with your buddies I guess like but you know hey he got himself a goal that's good but in terms of that lineup change that's that's as best as I can explain it but now that the Canadians have a loss in this series and you're looking at some of the other guys in the lineup uh there's a another 20 year old who uh can score some goals that a few other uh fans and media like I was recording a hockey inside out for the Montreal Gazette the other day and Stu Cowan is one of the columnists he writes for the Montreal Gazette and at almost every opportunity he kept saying Cole Caulfield he kept saying hey the Canadians have Cole Caulfield on the bench when they're going to put him in hey the power play is not going to do all that is not doing all that well they should put in Cole Caulfield Cole Caulfield Cole Caulfield Cole Caulfield and up until Monday you're probably going to hear a lot of people 
bring up Cole Caulfield's name because of what he's able to do when the puck is on his stick and the goals he's been able to score. And I know the Canadians only had one power play opportunity, but there was a the few times they got a chance on net was coming from the blue line. And we've seen that a lot with this Montreal Canadiens power play. You know who will probably be called on as a solution for that? Cole Caulfield, who uh, I think his first pro goal in the AHL was from that Ovechkin spot. So a lot of people are going to be calling on him to be in the lineup to at least give this team a much different look when it comes to playing with the man advantage. Of course, if the Leafs continue to be as disciplined as they were, or at least not get into penalty trouble as they did, they only got called for penalty once on Saturday night. Uh, hey, look, Canadians will have to find a way to rejuvenate that power play, and maybe Kyle Field will be that guy, but Ducharme has to put him in the lineup first. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of being too hypocritical, I praise Dominique Ducharme for at least choosing the lineup that he wanted, that he thought was best to execute exactly what they wanted to do, and that what they wanted to do was play a more laid-back counter-attack style, and it worked to win game one. But if Kotkaniemi comes in game two, and he's the only one who provided any offense, and you bring in Cole Caulfield in game three, and he looks like the only one who could score a goal from a power play set or from a five-on-five opportunity that might be considered, you know, a situation when he would score and no one else would score because he's got that booming shot and, and the, the ability to, you know, the God-given ability to score goals. I mean, you're going to wonder why we got to this point where you wasted a couple games to lead up to what maybe is your optimized lineup in terms of, you know, trying to score goals, which, which is what they're going to have to do to probably win the series. Um, the more... The, the more drastic lineup changes were with the Leafs, even though the cut Kenyemi one is pretty big. But with John Tavares going out in game one, the Leafs had to rejig uh, pretty much. It was only their middle six, but they had to really rethink how they were going to do things because they actually, as deep as they are as a team, they don't have that next center that obviously should step up into a second line role. So instead of choosing a center from the roster... They chose Nick Foligno to go from left wing to center, and they brought Gal- Alex Galchenyuk, former third overall pick of the Montreal Canadiens, to play wing, and they brought in Pierre Engvall as well. So only one player went out, but two new ones coming in with Riley Nash. Um, mixed results for mm. Galchenyuk and Engvall. Pierre Engvall in the third line did what he's been doing for a long time, and that's drive fantastic results. I think his line, the third line for the Maple Leafs, who is supposed to be a shutdown line, drove 80% plus uh, possession in the game. So they were dominant and they didn't see much against them. Uh, I don't know if they were married to one single matchup. It seems like it's a bit of a, this series is kind of flowy. They're not, they're not trying to match up everyone everywhere. Um, but either way, Engvall, Engvall's line with Kerfoot and Mikheyev did a tremendous job. On the flip side of that, Alex Galchenyuk, though, I mean, his, his numbers in terms of possession were way down. Uh, the one goal, the Kotkaniemi goal, came with a large scramble in terms of positioning for the Leafs with Felino, William Nylander, and Alex Galchenyuk sort of not getting it right defensively. So I think that leaves the door open for more changes just because I'm not sure the second line is what Sheldon Keefe wants it to be. But again, the second line can't be what Sheldon Keefe wants it to be because you don't have John Tavares and you don't really have anyone else who can play that, you know, top top two line center position uh, despite the depth that they have and the ability to bring people in. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the second line, if anything, but I think Pierre Engvall's definitely bought himself another start. I think he had a team high shots on net at five on five. uh, And clearly uh, he did his job tonight. Uh, I'm still waiting on uh, when Alex Galchenyuk inevitably scores in this series and the storylines will go to 
what if the Canadians gave up on Alex Galchenyuk too soon? <laughs> or the, uh, the, the rebuilt Alex Galchenyuk, as uh, The Athletic wrote about uh, him about a few months ago. Well, he's definitely... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He's been rebuilt because he's not a player that's poaching for goals or trying to play only offense now. I mean, he, didn't, he was one of the few Leafs who did not have a shot on net. So if he's going to hurt Montreal, he's going to at least have to pr- produce one of those on couple assists will do, I guess, as well. Uh, The big story, though, from the Leafs' perspective was the power play breaking out. Two goals you mentioned, or you put me on the spot not knowing when the last time that that happened, but it's been a long time. No worries. (laughs) Uh, There's still some issues, I think. Um, I mean, I I continue to look at this and wonder why William Nylander isn't getting more time on the power play. They're going with a set right now that has Austin Matthews, Rasmus Sandin, and Mitch Marder on the umbrella, which is fine. It is a bit controversial because Morgan Riley was there pretty much the entire season. But then they have Joe Thornton and Zach Hyman, two guys who literally can't produce much more than muffins in terms of shots. So if you're the Montreal Canadiens, I feel like you only have to really dial in to one player, and that's Austin Matthews, because Mitch Marner's not a lethal shooter as well. And Rasmus Sandy did score, but he was able to step into one from the hash marks and and, and blow it past Carey Price. So I, I don't know if they're producing or they're, you know, presenting the best possible five-man unit right now, the Maple Leafs, but at least they got some results. That probably means things stay status quo. But William Nylander got little time, despite all the power plays that the Maple Leafs had, and he took his one chance. And I tweeted, he's one of the few players that can score from that position that plays on the Toronto Maple Leafs power play. And you'd think he should be out there a little bit more. But again, you yeah. can't, quibble with the, can't quibble with the results, two goals, and the, really the difference in the game was the Leafs power play and the yeah, opportunities they got. Yeah, I, I as you were talking, I just couldn't help but think of the goalie scored in game one where you have two Canadians players near the net covering, I want to say Nick Felino and Nylander kind of breaks away from that yep. and goes right near the net and buries a chance past Carey Price. And I, I mean, that was at even strength. I, I see a play like that and I wonder why a guy like Nylander is not getting more time on the power play. You maybe you put him on another unit where he's able to be that net front presence for you with the man advantage. But the fact that he was able to get himself in that position lead me to believe that he could be a solid contributor for them there. I haven't studied the power play for the Leafs as much as you might have, but at least off of what I've been able to see of the Leafs so far in this series, if I'm Sheldon Keefe, I don't see any reason why I don't give Nylander a look. Well, the goal is, I think, with this team to have two balanced units. But the moment John Tavares went out, the, the idea of having two balanced units is thrown out the window because you don't have any firepower on the second unit. And therefore, you're going to leave that first unit on the ice probably for 90 seconds. Now, I do like the fact that they're leaving Austin Matthews on for basically the entire power play. I think that's sure. something they should have been doing a long time ago. That's I think something that's something every team should be doing. Your best player, the guy who's going to score the most goals or create the most goals on the power play, should be playing that full two minutes because, it's let's face it, it's not that taxing to stand around and pass the puck around for 90 seconds if it goes well. Um, but, but because Tavares is out, 
that means you can't have what you what you originally thought is the best thing for you. So stack that top power play unit. Get William Nylander some more touches. The misconception is that he doesn't like to play in the net front, but that's where he scores the majority of his goals. And yeah. he scored he scored from distance today on the power play that he eventually got onto at the back half. So uh, I just feel like it's an obvious move to put him on the power play instead of either Thornton or Hyman. Um, but it probably means they're because they had the success. It probably means they're going to continue going with what they had. Yeah, and look for this Toronto Maple Leafs team right now. It can see, like I mentioned before, with the woes that they had with the power play anything to get them a spark and if they continue to see success on that power play you're gonna have to go back to game two and see the success that they had and i still think that the way that they played on the power play uh, it got them the two goals i mean i'm not sure how many how often uh they ge- tried to generate those plays of trying to work the plays to the slot they looked good they looked pretty decent out there in terms of a power play looked a lot better than the canadians one chance and at least what they were able to generate in game one as well i don't know i think the Leafs power play looked okay Certainly, and game I, two. I don't think their sets look great yet, but when things got a little scrambly, that's when it worked for them because yeah. they had they had they were able to use you know some creativity in the moment and and uh, you know the Montreal defense was scrambling around and trying to cover off you know all everything they could do and that leaves openings and they found two openings one of those openings with Rasmus Sandin who I mentioned got to step into one but that led to the strangest moment of the game and you've already touched on it a little bit. But the challenge from Dominique Ducharme, I mean, if there was nails in the coffin, that put the final one in because it was just another two minutes for the Maple Leafs to work and continue their upward swing. Do you have any idea what Dominique Ducharme might have been thinking in that moment? Like, is there anyone who's sort of seen what he might have seen? And was Bergevin involved in this? Because he seemed very convinced himself. So I don't. As from what I because I remember just watching the play and just talking with some of my colleagues about it and just thinking like, hey, did. You know, just thinking of the idea that Mark Bergevin could have done this, let's let's put this out the way here now. I don't think Mark Bergevin uh, had anything to do with the Canadians getting looking to see if they could call call a coach's challenge on that play. Um, I definitely. Pro- pro- I was just going to say probably not, but he was sure there was there yes. was something there, which that was, was my so next weird. Point. My yeah, next sorry. point is that it would. That's fine. I would not be surprised if he looked at the play and thought, yeah, there's definitely something to be done there, but. I believe off the top of my head here, uh, between the video coach, uh, John Sedwick, also up in the press box as well, I think he also might have seen something as well. It definitely wasn't Bergevin. Uh, I think just with the team, they thought they saw something and they thought it was worth challenging. But, I mean, I just thought it was a total reach. Like, if you want to say it's Joe Thornton getting contact on the pads, like, I don't think it was enough to impede Price at all. People were suggesting, hey, maybe he lifted Price's stick. Just in my view, I was not able to tell if he was able to lift his stick at all. And they showed a whole bunch of different looks, and I could not tell. Uh, the one thing that was also concerning to me was, you know, I thought that was a clear goal. A lot of people thought that was a clear goal. Why did the refs take so long then? I guess it was just because they wanted to look at those first two looks that I had just mentioned earlier. But I thought it was a pretty open and shut case. And yeah. the fact that they called the challenge there, you're right. It leads to another man advantage for the Leafs just as they got off on one. Uh, and I don't know, again, it just has the Canadians chasing in that second period. It added to that theme for them where they were just not able to settle themselves in and they were chasing the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, for much of that period, and it just did not help. I I was just very surprised at that decision for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, apparently the the delay was because um, 
Vegas and Minnesota had a game, had a goal that was being challenged at the same time, and they were waiting for that replay. Maybe it was, it was because, a Toronto thing, like Toronto. I guess thing. I I think it was a Toronto thing. Yeah, I think it was it was just like you know a queue like trade deadline. There was just it takes a while to get to each one. I guess I, I mean I think they got enough monitors to look at two goals at the same time. Yeah. But, hey, like, I, I won't. It's uh, the playoffs. Are you kidding me? You mean to tell me that Montreal Toronto. Uh, can't get a goal decided upon because they have to wait on Vegas and Minnesota. Like, I mean, no disrespect to those two teams. They're really what good. You, what, We've re- I was going to say, what are you trying to say there, Julian? You know, you know, is there what, a more, you know what, is one you know game what? more important than the other? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to say <laughs> that. I mean, you know, maybe I've said too much. Maybe you have. Um, no, it was strange. And I think Dominique Ducharme did too much in the moment. I, I don't understand why... Uh, he thought that was the right move. I don't know who who you know tipped him off to a potential issue. If he saw it, maybe he just thought that he maybe thought with his eyes saw it that Joe Thornton lifted his stick a little bit. Or at least that's what he thought he saw. But Carey Price didn't react. Carey Price nope. didn't even look at Joe Thornton. And usually, you know, you can't you know um, ask the goalie for counsel in the moment. I guess you could if he skated over really quickly, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he would know if anyone would know it was Carey Price, and he clearly didn't think that goal was coming back. And even and even in in the post game, Carey Price was asked about it by multiple reporters, and he couldn't really tell them anything. He was like, "I need, I need to see the replay." Like, I'm, you're absolutely right. I think if there's a clear goaltender interference, you will see the goaltender go to the referee, or you'll see the goaltender go to his bench and be like, "Hey, there's goaltender interference. I was clearly impeded." But Carey Price could not tell. Uh, or at least he could not tell there was anything up and just seeing him be like a little agitated with, with the reporters, I kind of get it. Like he probably didn't see, he didn't see anything being wrong. And the fact that he was like, Hey, I have to go see the replay. That to me tells that, uh, I don't know. That challenge definitely was a bit misguided. I think if Carey Price had gone to the bench and said like, Hey, I was clearly impeded or you at least see him go to the referees to complain. That's an easy decision for the coaches to be like, Hey, Let's go and, and challenge this player. Goaltender clearly thinks we have a case. But to see them kind of do that after the goal where Carey Price didn't really do anything, that was very surprising. And could you imagine if the Leafs directly scored off that power play again and, and really made it like 4-1 in that period? Even worse uh, hill to climb for the Canadians at that point in the third period. And already having a two-goal deficit was tough enough for them in that third period. Just got to look at the goaltender's shoulders. If they remain slumped, He's got no beef. He knows nothing Nothing bad happened. Otherwise, they're coming up, and he's asking why, and he definitely didn't do that. Um, that was the strangest moment of the game, but the strangest Leaf moment was Wayne Simmons starting the game on the line with Austin Matthews and Zach Hyman, and absolutely nothing coming of it. I don't know if he asked to be in that situation. I don't know if there was maybe a conversation in warm-up. I don't even know who Montreal had out there now that I'm thinking about it. But it was like the most pointless thing in the world. And if you're going to sacrifice a shift from one of your top line players, why would you sacrifice one for Mitch Marner and not Zach Hyman? Like, what was Wayne Simmons doing on that first shift? Why did nothing happen with it? And why did they choose Marner and not Hyman to come off the ice to start the game? That Nothing about that made any sense. You're, didn't Simmons get a hit off like as soon as that puck was dropped too? Was that Simmons at the beginning of that game getting that hit? It was like a hit like right off the draw. And I think Josh Anderson was one of those three Canadians players who started. My and my 
thought. I mean, process. I guess that's why. But yeah, that was my thought process. Maybe the Leafs just wanted to start the game with aggression. They knew the Canadians had that. They had that in Game One, and maybe they wanted to start off with that tone. Maybe they're still thinking about what happened to John Tavares in the back of their minds. I'm not sure. But yeah. yeah, I'm with you. It's a bit strange. Like, I mean, game two, we should be all, it's hard to say, moved on from what happened in game one. But I, I was a bit surprised as well to see that uh, that Wayne Simmons got the start. And for a bit, it was it was taking me a second to realize, okay, where's 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 Mitchell? Where's Mitch Marner at? Like, it took yeah. me a while to notice him. I, I, maybe he issued a challenge and it was just turned down and he was just kind of caught. Just, okay, I guess I'm going to be on this first shift instead of Mitch Marner. But uh, if I liked any Wayne Simmons act more than the other, it was the massive fake punch at the end of the game. And then he, <laughs> I think it was at Joel Edmondson. And then he was like, whoa, I, like yeah. I made you flinch. Who's not going to flinch? He literally wound up from his hip to throw a fake punch while like the referees were stepping in. That was also a pretty strange moment, but at least it was entertaining. You have to be a special type of man to not flinch if Wayne Simmons is looking to throw them bows with you. Like, come on, come on. Like, like <laughs> literally, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm fi- I don't blame anyone for, for being like, oh, you see Wayne Simmons coming at you. The Wayne train, as I've heard he's been described as. I would have fully turtled. So if it was Sherrod or Edmonton, Ooh, yeah. Edmondson, whichever one it was, and they like moved a little bit, like I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. I'm be skating all away. I am. Yes. I have no problems with look. No, 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 no. I am not getting <laughs> in into it with Wayne Train Sim. Wayne Train. Do you hear that nickname? Like no, no. I do not want that. And maybe that's just me because obviously I am not an NHL caliber player at all. But uh, yeah, I turtle too. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Zach Bogosian, who was fully activated, like, <laughs> like never before in this game. I think he actually helped turn around the game a little bit for the Leafs because he just ventured in the offensive zone for two shifts in a row and ended yeah. up actually setting up Jason Spezza for the goal. I mean, we didn't see anything like that all year. Leaf fans have like stopped making fun of him or bemoaning the fact that the Leafs required him, but... I don't know. He just decided to take it upon himself. I'm talking about Jason Spezza doing the same and like stepping up in a big way. He just decided he wanted to play some offense and this will be always be the game that Zach Bogosian helped turn around for me. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I was watching the game uh, through the Steve Dangle stream. And at one point it was like, Oh, I see Zach Bogosian's playing on the wing. I was like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) So yeah, thank you for confirming that Zach Bogosian did play offensive shifts. That was that was weird. That you, That's when you know the game was done. You have Zach Bogosian out here taking offensive shifts. Yeah, I mean, the, the desperation, you know, it didn't have to be there that early for, for the Leafs, but when Zach Bogosian's suddenly playing forward, that does reek of desperation, although they didn't, it, they didn't necessarily have to go that far because the Maple Leafs did turn it around, especially with that second period, built themselves a pretty sizable lead and ended up winning 5-1 in the game with an empty netter because it's the end of a game and... Momentum is only as good as your last win, or however that cliche goes. Uh, there have to be adjustments. So what is Dominique Ducharme going to do for Game 3, if anything, to try and get one back as this series shifts to Montreal? I'm really curious with what he'll do with Cole Caulfield. That, again, as I mentioned before, that's the player to watch with all these adjustments that are going to be coming up. Uh, a guy like Corey Perry, who... Not to invoke Sam Mitchell, former coach of the Toronto Raptors, but he had a 0-0-0-0-0 stat line. He literally did nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, but I also wonder with the center depth that they have, is that also going to result in Eric Stahl getting moved at all? He did not have himself a good game either. 
uh, yeah, I'm not sure what other changes they could really make beyond the fact that, uh, you know, Jesperi Kakinemi is already in the lineup. It really depends on how healthy Jake Evans is going to be. If Jake, Hev- Jake Evans is healthy enough to play in game three, I could see him being inserted into the lineup. I'm not sure if it would come at the expense of, of Eric Stahl at this point. I'd be stunned if Dominic Ducharme said that's enough out of Kakinemi. We're putting him back on the bench considering the fact that he got that goal in game two. I would think with the way the depth is aligned, you're not taking out Suzuki. You're not taking out Deneau. If Jake Evans is ready to play, I think this might be the game where Eric Stahl takes a seat. This was a guy at one point, his Corsi 4 was like 8.3%. And I think only two other, is it him? Yeah, I think it was him. It was like two other guys. Uh, it was Deneau and Suzuki had worse face-off rates than him. Eric Stahl uh, provides a lot of leadership leadership for this team, or at least the you know playoff experience and tangibles. And on this podcast, I thought, uh, at least for another team, he'd be a good acquisition for the playoffs. But when you, go th- you see him go through games like what we saw in game two tonight, if you're a fan, it's, it's hard to justify uh, his place in the lineup. And for a Jake Evans, if he's healthy enough to play, he's able to bring energy. He's able to go up against the other team's good players as well. Uh, I would take out Eric Stahl in favor of, of Jake Evans if he's healthy enough to play in game three. That's my prerogative, but I think that's what I would do. That's what I would hope. Uh, if I'm Dominic Ducharme, that's what I think. That's what I would do if I was Dominic Ducharme and try to Co- find a way to put Cole Caulfield in. I was just going to say Caulfield goes in. Caulfield goes in, would go probably go in for Corey Perry, and then you swap in really? Jake Evans. Again, Corey Perry did not have a remarkable game, too. Uh, and I think, if anything, if you're fine, you want to take out Corey Perry and what he has, you can at least get a little bit more youth and, and, and exuberance from Cole Caulfield and, again, the goals. I think that's that's one guy to look at. I don't know if Yola or Mia would be the guy to take out as well because – he could do some things on the penalty kill. He got himself an assist in game two. There was one play that stood out where he was in the offensive zone. He did a nice uh, – he stripped the puck away from a Leafs player and almost got himself a chance. I know he's not the most dynamic offensive player, but he does at least still do some of the other little things that justify his place in the lineup. So I would be stunned if Ducharme took him out of the lineup, and you're not going to take some of the other guys of the top six out of the lineup as well. So if you're gonna if you're going to put Corey Perry in the lineup, I think Corey P- – sorry, excuse me. If you're going to put Cole Caulfield in the lineup, Corey Perry is probably going to be the guy you're going to take out. Well, if Corey Perry does come out, uh, that would be great for Leaf fans that are a little sensitive to the idea that Corey Perry may be, may be a better offseason acquisition than Wayne Simmons, which is possible given the seasons they've both had, but at least they'd be able to say at least Wayne is in the lineup. Um, for the Leafs, I think they might have to look at that second line. I just don't know what else you can do, though. Um I, I think maybe the opportunity to play William Nylander at center instead of Nick Foligno could be an option. I don't know if Nick Foligno, I'd have to like watch it back a little bit more to know if Foligno did struggle, but I, I feel like they were struggling a little bit with their roles. So if William Nylander, who played in the playoffs at center last year when John Tavares was bumped up to the top line, if he if he's there to start and to finish, maybe that's the best situation just because he knows the system for Keefe because he's played it for so long. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any tweaks there. Um, I don't think they'll be doing anything else with their lineup other than that. I mean, the guys that are on the, you know, the guys that could possibly come in, Adam Brooks, like as deep as his team is, they're still a little thin now at the margins with with uh, John Tavares out. So nothing, nothing of consequence. I think the big lineup thing, as we go to a three and four back-to-back, I believe, Yes. Chat, yes. Uh, fact check me on that. So Monday, uh, a Tuesday, back-to-back games three and back, four. 
Back-to-back Monday, Tuesday, you're obviously watching the goaltending position. Does Carey Price play both? Does Jack Campbell play both? Do we see Frederick Anderson or Jake Allen? I think that'll be something interesting I, to watch. I would be stunned if the Canadians looked at those two games and said, hey, we're getting Jake Allen in any of those games, unless Carey Price has himself an absolute stinker in game yeah. three. Like we're talking like he allows like six goals like partway through and you're just like, man, he just needs to, you know, take a night off and you put Jake Allen in to kind of salvage the ship here. I would be stunned if the Canadians looked at games three and four and at any point considered putting in Jake Allen. Carey Price is the guy for them in the net and he needs to be playing. And again, unless he has a really bad game, I don't see it happening. I think there was a chance for the Leafs to go Freddie Anderson in game four if they were leading in the series comfortably. Yeah. But with if it's 2-1 Leafs or if it's 2-1 Canadians, then game four is massive. Either way, it's either you're drawing level again if you lose or if you win, depending on what happens in game three. But mm-hmm. you, you just don't want to put yourself in a position where you're not putting your best foot forward in what's going to be a massive game four regardless of what happens in game three. Quickly, how much hockey do you watch today? You want to go through the games uh, a little bit? Yeah, we could. Uh, I watched a bit of uh, what, Panthers Lightning. I didn't get to watch Islanders in Pittsburgh, though. But uh, okay, Tampa so and, you, yeah, you can jump in it anyway. I've been trying to just give everyone the scores and basically what happened the night before. So I'll right. just run through it quick. The Tampa Bay Lightning basically have pushed the Florida Panthers to a brink, the brink of elimination. This was, you know, it was playing out like a very competitive series. But Tampa has sort of proven themselves as the proven entity, it seems. I mean, I think Florida can bull rush them and and actually play shot for shot. But when it comes down to what actually matters and what produces goals with regularity, what Tampa is doing is just more effective of what Florida is doing right now. The fact that the Florida Panthers just could not tie up sticks, clog up shooting lanes in the slot, and Tampa Bay forwards were just doing whatever they wanted, tipping in pucks, you know, getting open on the back door. Basically, Florida was lost in the defensive zone. And those are the things that Tampa has learned to do over time is to play defense the right way in the playoffs. Florida hasn't been a playoff team for very long, and I think it's showing with that specifically. There's obviously a couple other things. Sam Bennett, what he did in game one was a massive mistake and kind of set them back. But like the postseason know-how from Tampa Bay just shining through in the series, and now they're one win away from moving on into the... I guess it would be the Central Division Final. I don't even know how they're doing it, but yeah. the Central Division Final against likely Carolina. Yeah, but also just the aggression shown by the Florida Panthers in game in, in this game kind of stood out to me, right? Like Ryan Lomberg just kind of going out of his way to try to throttle Yanni Gord, uh, Anthony Duclair on Nikita Kucherov earlier, Mikhail Sergachev also going down with injuries. Considering how that game was going in the latter stages, like, if you're Tampa Bay Lightning, you get out of Dodge because of all the potential injuries that could be going down. As far as I'm concerned, unless you you have an update for me, I don't know what it's going to look like for Nikita Kucherov. He did not look good going down uh, yeah. with that injury. I was, I'm not sure what happened to him, or I'm not sure just if he, if he just got hit in the soft part with the knee or whatever he was hurt or whatever, but it did not look good. He was trying to just kind of – he was laboring when he was trying to get off the ice. And if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think you can get out of a series without Nikita Kucherov here, but – you have to be a little bit concerned with with his injury status. Well, that's another main uh, sort of talking point or issue for Florida, I guess. It's like both of these teams are playing dirty, but one of them is doing it the way Anthony Duclair did there, chopping down Nikita Kucherov. And I guess that's effective because Nikita Kucherov might be hurt. But Tampa Bay is a dirty team throughout the game, all the time. 
but they do it more subtly, more within the rules, and they just find a way to piss you off. And I think they've pissed off Florida to the point where they are taking hacks and and just coming undone from a, a team perspective. Uh, I think they're just they're just showing that they like understand what to do this time of year, and Florida doesn't. Um, but you know. Whether or not Nikita Kucherov, I, I don't think it was the. It didn't seem like the worst thing in the world. Perhaps there's something wrong in which he can't play. Um, I think I'd be more concerned about Sergachev because that looked like the worst, yeah. uh, a worse hit in the moment. Who knows though? But Tampa will have a chance to eliminate Florida. I guess it'll be Monday, um, unless they're playing a black back to back as well. I should probably know the schedule before I come out here and talk about games, but I digress. Um, I mean, we kind yeah, of focused on Canadians' Leafs. I mean, it's, I, it's, for the people at home listening, like, give us a bligh on the fact we don't know whether uh, when the next game for Lightning Panthers is. I mean, it's coming hot and heavy. You could probably just assume that it's coming every other day, just as it has happened for the last how many years. I mean, we'll just assume. We'll just assume. I think it's safe to assume. Okay. New York Islanders, they even things up with the Pittsburgh Penguins. If I watched... I guess Vegas, Minnesota, we didn't both didn't watch any of that. But the Islanders, yeah. uh, I didn't watch as much of this game as I did with Florida and Tampa. But this seemed like the first real Barry Trotz game where the Islanders got to do what Barry Trotz likes them to do and what makes them the most effective, where they are uh, annoying, difficult to penetrate, uh, make things difficult out in the opposition, and then counter-strike. And for the first time in the series, I think Matt Barzell woke up and he was a driving force for them in this game. They won it pretty handily. Now they go back to Pittsburgh and try to get the leg up on the series again after winning game one. I thought it might be over. I thought Pittsburgh might push them to the brink themselves today. Uh, but the Islanders show, showed some fight, and it looks like that'll be uh, potentially one of the series that goes the longest here. Four goals allowed by Tristan Jerry. Uh, I mean, I know how I felt about him after game one. Uh, again, I did not watch the Islanders in Pittsburgh, but seeing that Tristan Jerry allowed all those goals, I mean... Again, a bit concerned there. That's not something you want to have happen if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, you got to hope for better goaltending in the games going forward in this series. He wasn't good enough, but he also didn't stand a chance against Ilya Sorokin today, who got the nod over Simeon Varlamov. So we probably should expect Sorokin to be back in the net, as it's one. That's one of many teams that seem to be juggling goaltenders at this point. Uh, and lastly, it was on in running parallel with the Maple Leafs and Canadians. So we didn't get to watch any of Vegas and Minnesota, but I can report that Vegas won the game for nothing and will take a three, one series lead back to Vegas after dropping game one. So Vegas doing Vegas things and doing probably what we expected them to do. And it sets up as it's three, one and three, nothing with St. Louis falling behind Colorado and probably going to their Colorado avalanche are probably going to win that in four. We're going to get the dream matchup in the West division final with Colorado and Vegas that one should be spectacular when I think of West Division final I don't think of Vegas and Minnesota I think of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Calgary Stampeders playing in the West Division final of the CFL it's going to be a little weird to think of West Division final in an NHL standpoint I don't know about you but I could go for a CFL game right now dude I cannot it's been too long I cannot wait until the CFL comes back I'm glad this is a CFL friendly podcast. Maybe this yeah. transitions in the summer. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with the waggle. The waggle is the premier CFL yeah. podcast, and I don't want to infringe Shout on out to the territory. Waggle. Shout yeah, out to but, the waggle. But, hey, man. <laughs> but no, look. Hey, I I'm I'm up to seeing the Alouettes do well. I don't know what the Argonauts are going to look like, 
there's some quality teams in CFL. I don't want to make this into a whole, you know, CFL segment here, but uh, I am hankering for some CFL action when it happens. For, for another day, for another day, but on a, on a holiday weekend in Canada. I believe it's holiday across Canada, Memorial Day weekend. Yes. Yes, yes. No, I don't, don't know. Quebec does things differently, so I just want to make I mean, sure. We, we have June uh, 24th off, yes. I mean, but we don't ne- necessarily we don't necessarily get CFL games at this time of year, but long weekends in the summer, that's meant for CFL games. Okay, the CFL talk ends now. Uh, yes. We will be back Monday, I believe. Are you going to be on yeah. with me Monday? So I we're going to be back Monday to, to break down Game 3, Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I don't think I'll have a podcast tomorrow night. So the next Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast will be another joint effort and another podcast breaking down the Maple Leafs and Canadians. It's going to be another big, 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 big time game. Uh, The winner will get a 2-1 series lead. Um, What we thought maybe is different now based on the result tonight. Uh, But either way, the the series is a little bit more interesting than maybe both you and I thought with it heading 1-1 to Montreal. No fans. That'll have to wait for game six if we get there. Uh, but uh, it's starting to heat up in the in the North Division, and hopefully the Edmonton Oilers can just do their part to make things a little bit competitive, like yeah, the Montreal Canadiens have certainly done. Yeah, I'm surprised about that. Uh, so Edmonton, disappointing, man. What's going on, man? Like, Brutal. McDavid and Dreisaitl held pointless in the first two games, and the Jets getting... I didn't... Like, you know what's funny? You know what's funny? I'm saying that I didn't expect the Edmonton Oilers to be down in the series. But what have what have I been saying about the Winnipeg Jets all year? Don't underestimate this team. They're literally doing what I what I figured they'd be doing for most of this year. Like people kind of dumped on them after Nikolai Ehlers got hurt. Like like don't I should really just follow my own advice sometimes. We we got to write down. That's the problem. We don't write down all year no, sayings. And we, if we write them down, we'll never not appreciate Sidney Crosby. We'll never not appreciate Connor McDavid, and we will never sleep on the Winnipeg Jets like the Edmonton Oilers seem to be doing at least through two games. Let's leave it there. No tire pumps. You can give it a quick tire pump, shall we? Uh, from ha- hey, from Habs Leafs, anyone anyone come to mind? I mean, just, hey, look, uh, the power play. Shout out to everyone who got themselves a power play goal. And for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I guess they're the ones most deserving of a tire pump. Uh, for me, at least, I, I don't think I necessarily need to give it to a Canadian. I think the, the Leafs no, are more deserving of a tire pump. That's fair. I'll give it to Zach Bogosian. This has been the weakest tire pump we've ever done, but it's it's, it's what like we do on the Yahoo Sports <laughs> Hockey Podcast. You don't have to bust it out because there's no air going into the tires. Uh, let's leave it there. We'll be back Monday night again. The Leafs win five one over the Montreal Canadiens to even their series. Uh, and Game Three goes Monday night. Julian, I'll talk to you then. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.